0: Right, grab your Bibles, go to Luke chapter two. Luke chapter two, we're starting a new series uh, that we're calling, He Came, We Go, and we're gonna be looking at restoring, uh, the restoring gift of Christmas. And so we wanna really hone in on this story and realize that Jesus came, and because he came, we now go. And this is where I want us to you know, you know kind of understand as we move through the holidays that the Christmas story, oftentimes, we only see it through the lens of Bethlehem. And so when we think of the Christmas story, we think of Jesus came and he was born and in Bethlehem. And then once we get out of Luke chapter two, we just kind of move on and we think the Christmas story is over. But the truth is the Christmas story um, really is incorporated into the entire life of Jesus. The Christmas story is that Jesus came to Bethlehem, but then beyond Bethlehem, he grew up to live the life we couldn't live, ultimately dying in our place, being resurrected from the grave, and then eventually ascends to the Father, but before he ascends, he then gives us this commissioning, a calling to go and tell the world that he came. So he came and we go, and the story of Christmas is the life of Jesus, everything that he came to do, and now it's our responsibility to go and share it with the world around us. This is critical that we understand this. So Luke chapter two is where we're going to be this morning. We're going to kind of launch into this by talking about the message of the Christmas story. So Luke chapter two, if you're there, say, I'm there. Verse one, it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was from the household and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his patrolled, who is with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to a firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out of the field, keeping watch over the flock by night, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord." And so this is the the Christmas story and the this, this, the title of today's sermon is The Ever Restoring Message of Christmas. The Ever Restoring Message Of Christmas, How many of you uh, this week are still putting up Christmas decorations in your home? Let's kind of do a poll. Raise your hand real high, all right, for some of you who are late to the game, late to the party, all right? No, raise, raise your hand, look around the room. We're gonna do a poll here, okay? So those of you who are still putting up your Christmas tree and your Christmas decorations, how many of you, you did it right after Thanksgiving? You were the after Thanksgiving crew. Raise your hand if that's you. You love Christmas a little bit more. How many of you really love the appearance of Jesus and you put it up right after Halloween? Anybody here? Uh, raise your hand, yeah, so for those those of you who are who are have not done it and you 're still in the process of doing it, I question you right now i just i don 't I don't know if you really love the Lord, and then for those of you who wait till after thanksgiving i 'm um, proud of you you 're doing it, but for those that came before thanksgiving, uh, you're the ones who are really into it and you 're so thankful for jesus and so uh, I had somebody this week tell me they were like i said uh, uh when did y'all put your Christmas tree up? And they say, oh, we don't put up time for Thanksgiving because we're gonna celebrate Thanksgiving and then we'll celebrate Christmas. It's like, well, for our family, we were thankful on Thanksgiving for Christmas and therefore we set up beforehand and um, totally self-righteous, I know it. Um, but we, in our household, we, we love Christmas. We decorate uh, early, and we—we uh, we, like my wife is just, she's detailed with what goes up in the house, what colors. What I learned, my role is is to get the tree out of the attic and put it up. She does the rest, not because I'm not willing to help, but because she prefers not to have my help. And here's what we're doing. We're doing in our house what so many people are doing. We want a a beautiful Christmas. We want Christmas to be just perfect, right? We're talking in our family right now, we're discussing the menu for Christmas Eve because my wife wants everything in order after Christmas Eve services. uh, She has everything laid out, everything's ready to go because we all do this. We go through great lengths to have the perfect holiday season. We even take pictures, right, and send out Christmas cards. Some of us do that. And most of our Christmas cards, everybody's just smiling, not realizing we almost killed each other just a few moments before that. Why? Because if not perfect, we at least want it to appear to be perfect. And here's what I'm afraid that we do. I'm afraid that we do the same thing with the Christmas story. Like in our attempt to create the perfect Christmas experience, oftentimes we read our context back into the Christmas story. And we read the Christmas story like the Hallmark Christmas card. We read the Christmas story like the beautiful nativity that we have at our house. You know, the Mickey and Minnie one where Jesus now, you know, he's the Messiah there. And there he is in the nativity. And um, like, we wanna read that into the story. And what happens is, is that we end up cleaning up the manure from the stable and we end up trying to rearrange the hay to where it's nice and orderly And everything around the the manger scene is nice and pretty, but that's not at all what you find in the context of the biblical account. The first Christmas was not beautiful. The first Christmas was broken. The first Christmas was not perfect, it was a mess. In fact, Luke goes through great lengths to help us understand just how broken the first Christmas was. Luke is a historian. And in his account, he he gives reference to different names and characters, and he's not doing this for any other reason other than he's wanting to give a historical context for the Christmas story. He wants us to see what's happening in the world the moment that Jesus entered into the equation. In fact, look what he does here in Luke chapter uh, two again, verse one. He says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, look, we don't understand, like, why is he mentioning Caesar Augustus? Why is he mentioning uh, Quirinius here? Why is he mentioning this this, uh, census? He's given us historical context. And what he's showing us is that Jesus entered into the equation. He came to planet Earth. The first Christmas came at a time when the world was absolutely broken, specifically Israel, This was a season in history where they were, uh, after generations upon generations of being just a war-torn country. One invading army after the other, coming in and dominating the Syrians, the Babylonians, and now the Roman Empire. That's why I mentioned Caesar Augustus. He was a tyrant. He was a bloodthirsty tyrant who ruled the world with a heavy hand. He was tax-thirsty. 50 to 60% of all the income people made went to pay taxes so that the kingdom could get larger and, and, uh, and, and Caesar could have more power and more authority over the world. He placed a man by the name of Herod over Israel. So Israel was now under the rule and reign of, of Caesar Augustus. And so Caesar places Herod over uh, Israel and Herod is there over Israel and he is as evil as Caesar is. Herod is a man who killed members of his own household because he thought they were trying to take the throne from him. I mean, Herod was a man that was, was a great engineer and a brilliant mind, but absolutely brutal. He crucified as many people as possible to keep them in, in line. And anytime there was ever a moment of rebellion, he would just destroy people to, in order to, to keep the peace that he wanted through the pain and the suffering of the people he ruled over. This is the context of what Luke is referring to here. Jesus, in essence, listen to this. He entered the world In a third world, tyrant-run dictatorship where the army of the tyrant ruled with a heavy fist. That's the world Jesus entered into. He entered into the world in 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 a very difficult time. He also entered the world into a broken broken place. Look what he says here. He goes through this, this conversation uh, of in, chat in verse one and two of talking about this census. He had to go be registered for it. And he tells us this in, in verse three. Um, he says this, he says, and they went to be registered each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee uh, to the, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, which is the city of David. This is about a hundred miles away. Now they're about to give birth to a child. So Jesus not only enters into the world in a very broken time in history, but now Joseph, against his will, is taking his nearly nine-month pregnant wife 100 miles on the back of a donkey to Bethlehem, which was the city of of David, and this is the birthplace or the family birthplace of of Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. And why is that so important? Bethlehem was a broken town. It was a poverty-stricken, you think about Nowhereville, Israel, that's Bethlehem. The only significance is that it's the, it's the hometown of King David. And it is, is literally a, a peasant-filled community. Many scholars believe the reason Joseph's family lives in Nazareth and not in Bethlehem is because Joseph is a peasant and he was so poor in Bethlehem that he'd leave his hometown to go to a Nazareth so that he could find work. And so here's what you find. Now now Joseph, this poor peasant man, is taking his nearly nine-month pregnant wife 100 miles to this this nowhere town, Israel, where he had to leave because of the poverty level. And here is why he went. He had to go be registered so that Caesar Augustus might tax them more. So what little he had was about to be taken so imagine the despair and the darkness of Joseph going, man, I gotta provide for a family and now I don't have the money. I gotta travel on my own dime 100 miles with my wife to get to a town where there's no opportunity. I'm, 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 it's, it, they're more broke than I am and now I'm only going because they're gonna take more money from me. I mean, you think about the despair that Joseph might've gone through. This was broken. So you see what, what Luke is doing here. He's, he's showing us the, how messy the first Christmas is and how broken it was. Jesus came in a broken time. He came to a broken place. He came to a broken people. Look what it says here in verse eight. So, So Jesus is entering into the world and listen to the first people to hear about it. It says, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. Now think about this for a moment. God is putting on skin and he's gonna enter into humanity. He is gonna come to earth. And he chooses historically, one of the most violent, broken times in history to enter. He goes and is born into one of the most broken communities, poverty-stricken, not even born in a house, he's born in a cave, for crying out loud, and the birth announcement to the savior of the world is not made to kings or princes or religious leaders, but to lowly shepherds. Like, you talk about messed up and broken, the first people to hear about the arrival of God on earth are shepherds. Say, why is that so significant? Because in this particular day, shepherds were the outcast in the community. They were believed to be unclean because of their proximity to animals. So they couldn't go and worship. So they were, they were, they were considered as outcasts religiously. So society considered them to be thieves and, and, and untrustworthy men who would take things from you. And so you couldn't trust them. So socially they were outcasts. The common thought of the day is that that they were far from God. They were cut off from God, that that God would wanna have nothing to do with shepherds. Now, here's what's crazy about this is that these shepherds were probably out keeping watch over their flock by night. They were probably keeping sheep that would be used for the sacrificial system at the temple that they could not attend because of their spiritual and social condition. These are broken people severed from God. And yet they are the ones that God chose to be the first recipients of the gospel message that would change the world. They were the first to hear that Christmas has come. And this is messed up, is it not? A broken place, a broken time, a broken people. This was a mess. This is not the Hallmark Christmas card. The first Christmas would have never made a Hallmark movie. It's too messed up, and yet this is when God chose to send Jesus, where he chose to send Jesus, and to the people, he chose to announce that Jesus has come. What is the point of all of these details that Luke has given us? And it's truth number one, write this down, don't miss this, Jesus came to enter our brokenness. Jesus came to enter our brokenness. You see, what we do far too often is we want to create in our lives the Hallmark Christmas card version of who we are. And what we do is that we think that in order for us to be loved by God and known by God and restored to God and have a relationship with God, then I've gotta do better, try harder, be more religious, be more spiritual. I've gotta repair the brokenness in my life. And if I can fix what's wrong with me, then I might be able to be accepted by God. I talked to a gentleman this weekend, a former student of mine, and loved this kid. This kid uh, knows the Lord, and, 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 and once walked away, he's straight away from the Lord, and I was speaking to him this weekend, and within about three minutes, like, man, how's life going? Man, it's not good. Unpacked it a little bit for me, and, I said, and he said, listen, I'll tell you what, though, Todd, I'm, I'm a, when I get some things straightened out, I'm gonna be back at church. I just looked at him, and I said, man, you ain't gotta straighten anything out. Man, you just come, you let Jesus do the straightening out. But see, so many of us, we approach God and we think that we have to get it all together. But Christmas says to us, listen, he came for the mess that you're in. Listen, Jesus did not come for the Hallmark Christmas card version of you. He came for the broken, messed up, can't get it right, failed relationship, addiction, religious, self-righteous version of you that you try to hide. He came to step into your brokenness. And see, when we try to clean up the mess of Christmas, when we try to clean up the manger when we try to remove all of the the filth and the grime, listen, when we do this, what we're doing is we're missing the message. You see, to lose the mess of Christmas, you miss the power of the message of Christmas that God loves you and he, he has sent Christ to enter into your world. And so this is where, in our obsession, we do this at Christmas. What do we wanna do? Perfect tree, perfect decorations. We even got candles for crying out loud that we only use during the holiday season. Is anybody crazy like that or is my house the only one? And when we smell those candles, it's like Christmas is here. Imagine if we made candles that actually smelled like Christmas. In fact, that, that's, we need to do that next year for Christmas. That's going to be our gift to you. And every time you light that candle, you're going to be like, He came from my mess. Can I tell you, listen to me? The story of Christmas tells you, listen, he, your life's in shambles right now. Your marriage is not good. You're, you're concerned about the future because of the, the, the world that we're living in. You've got that sin that you can't overcome. You feel like everything around you is broken. Listen, Jesus came for you. He came to step into that. You don't clean yourself up. Listen, and by the way, when you clean yourself up, you just make a bigger mess. Part of our issue is, is that we're so busy trying to clean up our life to be acceptable by God that we end up making a bigger mess of our life. Or as a kid, you know, some memories as a kid, you just stick it, stand out to you more than others. Uh, we grew up in, in, in uh, most of my life I live in Arkansas, but for a small, small season, we lived on a farm in Michigan. And, um, and I don't know why this memory stands out to me. It's probably because of it, it was so awful. This is kind of embarrassing. but So I, had, I was young, but I was too old. I was out of diapers, and, uh, so, but I had an accident without a diaper. And you can imagine the scene. And so my mom is over here and she's like, yeah, that happened. And, um and so I'll never forget, I remember going to the bathroom, going, I can't tell mom and dad because I'm too old to have accidents. And so I'll tell you what I do, I'll clean up myself. Anybody ever had a kid do that? All I did was make a bigger mess. So I took the mess and I tried to clean up the mess and in cleaning up the mess, I made a bigger mess and I've been better off just to go to someone who could take care of the mess, Right? And so often what we do, this is what religion is about. Religion is about you trying to fix yourself, you trying to restore your life, you knowing something's broken and trying to find a method, an approach to God that you think he'll accept and you fixing the issues. You, you have a mess in your life and you're trying to clean up the mess. And here's what the result is. You might nail it for a while, but eventually you're gonna create a bigger mess and you're gonna get more broken. What when you do is understand the story of Christmas as Jesus came to step into our brokenness. I love what the story does here. It turns and tells us that not only does He stand, step into our brokenness. Write this down if you're writing notes, Jesus came to restore what was broken. So it's not just stepping into the brokenness, it's stepping into the brokenness in order to restore what is broken. So we're living in a time, 2021, when we have a lot of brokenness and darkness around us. We have a lot of uncertainty. Maybe issues in your life that nobody knows about This broken. Listen to me. Jesus came so that he could not only know and, and walk and step into your brokenness, but that when he is in the equation, he restores what is broken. This is the message that the angels gave to the shepherds that night. Look at verse 10. I love this. And the angel of the Lord said to them, fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Now, pause just for a minute. We've gotta read the text and understand the story. So broken time, broken place, broken people, right? So just think about this for a minute. The shepherds and their reputation, they know their reputation. Many of them live up to their reputation. We are the people that God would never have a relationship with. People don't trust us. We don't go to worship, we're not religious, we're not spiritual. So just think about this for, for a moment. Here they are at night, they're watching their sheep. It's just another night on the outskirts of Bethlehem and there they are and, and all of a sudden it says, the sky lit up and the angel of the Lord shows up to them. Now just think about this. If you have the reputation that the shepherds have, what do you think that angel is there to do? Imagine somebody looked at their friend. We're like, there it is, boys. They've been telling us it's coming. He's gonna strike us dead. We know it. The angel shows up, and I think in their hearts and their minds, not just the majesty of an angelic being would strike fear, but the condition that they know that they're in strikes fear. The angel of the Lord appears, and I love this. The angel's words to them, don't be afraid. You don't have to be afraid, here's why. We've not come to destroy you, we've come to bring a message that can restore you. We've not come to condemn you, we've come to, so that you might know that there is forgiveness and there's mercy. The angel said to them, behold, fear not, but we bring you good news of great joy that will be for all of the people. Good news, great joy. Here's what I love about this. The very first proclamation that was made about the arrival of Jesus is that this is good news. You know, the word gospel comes from a Greek word that literally translated means good news. So what the shepherds heard that night from the angel was the first proclamation of the good news that is ours because Jesus has come. But hear me say this, the fundamental message of, of what Christianity is all about, the fundamental message of Jesus is not good advice, it's not good works, it's not be a good person. The fundamental message of Jesus is this, there is good news. There is an announcement that something has been done for you that will change you forever. And this is why the angel said this, hey, great news for you. And this great news is so great that it's gonna be It's gonna bring mega joy to your life. That's what he says here. The word great joy there in verse 10 is the Greek word "megas," where we get the word mega. So here's the question we're gonna ask. What's the good news that's gonna bring mega joy? What's the good news that's gonna bring overwhelming, abundant joy into our life? Look what he says in verse 11. Broken place, broken time, broken people, but this is a message of restoration. Look what he says, verse 11. He says, for unto you, everybody say you. That was terrible. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now just think about this for a moment. Broken time, broken broken people, shepherds out there know that they've been rejected by God. Now God has sent a messenger to them and he says, listen, don't be afraid. There is great good news that's gonna bring great joy into your life and here is the good news that's gonna bring great joy. For unto you, broken, busted, messed up shepherd, for unto you in this time, in this place, in this moment is born today a savior who is Christ the Lord. We need to lean into that. So I got, I got news for you today. If you come in this place and you, you're uncertain of your relationship with God, if you're uncertain whether or not you know him, if you, or you know I don't know him, and I've got sin in my life, I'm, I've got some brokenness that is real in my life, here's the good news that can bring great joy in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your brokenness. Listen, front to you is born a savior. From to you is born a savior. And I love this because the announcement tells us the nature of grace and the power of God that is wrapped up in swaddling clothes just a few miles away. He says, savior. He didn't say religious leader. He didn't say a new, a new practice, a new spiritual um, 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 focus that you're gonna give is waiting for you. No, no, a savior. What does a savior do? The savior is a word that means deliverer. In fact, Jesus was named Jesus. If you go back to Matthew chapter one, verse 21, when the angel shows up to Joseph, he says, by the way, you're you're gonna call him Jesus because the word Jesus means deliverer. It means rescuer. It means savior. And then he tells him why. For he will save his people from their sins. And so what we discover is, is that Jesus steps into our brokenness to restore what is broken. What is the root cause of our brokenness? It's sin. So listen, at the root of every moment of pain in your life, every moment of brokenness in your life, anything in the world that's not as God has designed it, it is like that because of the effects of sin. Sin that we've committed, sin committed against us, sin that's been done just generally that affects our life. This world is broken fundamentally because of sin, but God says, hey, there's good news. It brings great joy. Why? Because I'm sending a deliverer here who is gonna deliver you, first of all, from sin. From the sin and its effect in your life and the sin and what it does in the world, eventually bring about ultimate restoration. You see, Jesus has come, listen to me. He he's telling the shepherds here when when in telling Joseph when he says you're gonna name him Jesus for you save his people from their sins, he's telling them, listen, what is most wrong in the world today is not that Caesar Augustus is a jerk. What is most wrong with the world today is not because of the heavy hand of Herod. What is most wrong in the world today is that your sin has broken your relationship with God and until that gets restored, nothing can be well with you. Brokenness is the evidence of a severed relationship. And so God, meeting us at a point of our greatest need, says, so I'm sending a savior and he is going to step into your brokenness so he can restore you back to himself. This is the message of Christmas. Let me summarize it in one phrase. What is the ever-restoring message of Christmas? Listen to this. God came to earth to deliver us from sin and to restore us back to himself. Listen to me, if you don't get anything, you got to get this. Even if you say, I've been a Christian for 40 years, great, listen to this. Don't ever let this become something that doesn't blow your mind. Never let this become something you just go, okay, that's great, I've heard that before. Listen, God came to earth. God came to earth so that he could deliver us from our sin and restore us back to himself. You see, this is important because there's an identity given here. He says here, hey, the Savior has been born. Well, who is the Savior? Oh, he's Christ the Lord. Why is that important? Christ is this, is this the name in the Old Testament, we see Messiah. He's the anointed one. So when the angel is saying to the shepherds here, hey, you know the king and the, and the, and the ruler that God promised in the Old Testament that everything's pointing to, that he is gonna come and bring righteousness and justice and he's gonna bring peace to the earth again? He said, yeah, the Christ, he's the one that you're about to go see. But not only, and this is the part that would blow their mind, not only is the Christ, but the Christ came in a way that no one ever imagined, he's also the Lord. When he says he is Christ the Lord, that part would have blown their mind. Why? Because they they learned in this announcement that the Messiah was not just another man. He was the God man. Yes, he is born in the flesh and yes, he's 100% man, but he is also the Lord. He is also the king of kings. He is the creator of the universe. He is God with skin on. That's the message that they received. You see, this is important historically, just a little nugget here that might be of interest to you. And I think this is the power Luke is writing with. Caesar Augustus was so arrogant that he he declared himself. Listen to this, here was his title that he gave himself and then forced other people to call him and to worship him uh, by. He, he called himself the savior of the world. And then he gave himself the title of Lord. So Caesar Augustus says, I am Lord and I am the savior of the world. And he said that long before the night in Bethlehem. And I love this because Luke is writing the description of what the angels say to the shepherds at a time where the ruler of the world was declaring, I'm the Savior of the world. I'm Lord. I am to be worshipped. I am a God. I'm a man who has become a God. And when God dispatched the, the angel of the Lord to go tell the shepherds that Jesus had come, he says, Oh, by the way, here's the message you're going to say. Here's what's going to be recorded through all of history that the one who has been born, he's actually the Savior of the world, and he's the only one with the title Lord. You see, the story of Christmas, listen to this. It's the story of the Savior who is the Lord coming to earth. Listen, it's the, it's the, it's the God who becomes a man, whereas Caesar Augustus is the man trying to become a God. And this is a drop the mic moment, I think. Oh, Caesar, you think you're, oh, you're the Savior of the world? Okay, let me introduce you to the real Savior of the world. His name is Jesus. And oh, by the way, They also refer to him as Emmanuel because Emmanuel means God with us. So he is actually Lord and you're not. Think about the courage it would have taken for Luke to pin that in that particular day and time. Why? Because Caesar was trying to convince the known world, hey, I'm the savior that you need. I'm the Lord that you need to worship. And Jesus comes in and says, no, 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 no. A real savior is here. Now look at me for a minute. That's just a neat historical fact. No, because we live in a culture today where there are functional Caesar Augustus that we keep turning our attention to over and over and over again. What do you mean? It's functional Caesar Augustus. Things that declare to us, hey, I'm the savior you're looking for. Just turn to me. Just, for some, it's money for some it's success, for some it's certain relationships, for some it's getting out of certain relationships. You think, well, if I can just have that, man, that's the savior that I'm looking for. That's what I need. And so you get it and you realize it doesn't do for you what it promised. Listen, all of us in our life at times have functional Caesar Augustus that's trying to scream and declare to us, I'm what you need, I'm the savior you're looking for. And Jesus wants to step in and says, no, 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 I'm the only one that can officially carry that title. Why? Because I'm Lord. This is critical that we get this. And I love this. Here's what he says. This is the message. This is the summary here. Look what he says here. The angels then multiply, says in verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Don't miss this. And on earth, peace. Now, do you think in this particular time people were looking for peace on earth? You better believe it. I mean, you think people of Israel who have known nothing for generation after generation of being a war-torn country, who have known defeat after defeat after defeat, and here they are under the tyranny of another dictator ruling and ruling over their life and taxing them and and mistreating them. And they're looking for peace, and here's the announcement. Hey, on earth now there can be peace. Now, this is a good message. Notice how he says, what he says at the very end. Peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Now just unpack that for a minute. Everybody's looking for peace. The message of Jesus is there is peace that's available, but it's only peace for those. Who are the those? Those with whom he is pleased. Now eyes right here for a minute. I'm gonna drop the bomb on you before we see the beauty. If peace is found by those with whom he's pleased, then all of us in this room are hopeless apart from Jesus because we can't, his favor can't rest on us because of our sin, right? So he can't be pleased with us. We're broken, we're severed. So if peace can be only found in him having pleasure, his favor resting upon us, then there's no peace that we can have. Not peace with God, not peace in the core of our soul, and certainly not peace in the world. Yet Jesus says, hey, now peace can come. Well, then the question is, how in the world, if I know in my sin, he can't be pleased with me and his favor's not on me, how can I have his pleasure so I can have his peace? And that's the point of Christmas, is that Jesus came to live the life we couldn't live. Ultimately, Jesus went to pay the price for our sin, dealing with that thing in our life, which is sin, that keeps us at odds with God, that severs the relationship. And so what Jesus does is Jesus goes, listen, I will take upon your sin. I will pay the price that you owe God so that God can restore you back to himself. Without the removal of our sin, there can be no restoration. So Jesus steps in on the cross, uh, Corinthians 5, 21, we'll look at this next week. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus so that now in Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, and our faith responds to him when God looks at us when we're in Christ, he doesn't see the broke, messed up version of us. He sees us clothed in the righteousness of God and he is pleased with us. And therefore, there can be peace. And I love this, peace on earth with those whom he is pleased. So there can be still brokenness in the earth, but peace in the heart. So when Jesus is a part of the equation, your marriage can really stink. And it can take a long time for God to work things out. But if you are right with God through Christ, there can be peace in the midst of the brokenness. Your life could have very serious issues with illnesses or loss of relationships or loss of financial stability and it be chaos in your life. But when Jesus is a part of the equation, there can still be peace. Why? Because when Jesus enters the equation, when God is pleased with us because we're in Christ, there can be a settledness of our soul regardless of the chaos of our circumstances. And this is the beautiful message of Christmas that we can be restored to him. And then his restoring work of that relationship is ever restoring. So we go from one degree of glory to the other. He's now at work in our life, uh, overcoming sin, overcoming pain. And ultimately Jesus is gonna return again and every tear is gonna be wiped away and he will eradicate all pain. Why? Because peace will fully be established in him. So what do we do with this message? Well, it's very simple. There's two things we do and we learn it from the shepherds. The first is we receive it. The first is we receive it. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and let's see the thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in a manger. Now, listen to this. I love this. So the angel shows up to this broken place, broken people, broken moment in time and declares a message of good news that will bring great joy because the Savior has come who can bring peace into their life. And here's what it says. When the, when the shepherds heard the message from the angels, when the angels went back up into the heavens, their jaw was dropped and they looked at one another and said, well, what do we do now? Are you kidding me? What do you think we do now? He told us where to go, and he told us what we'll find. And there is good news, and there's great joy that's waiting for us. There is a Savior that God said, for unto us is born this day, that we don't have to live separated from him, that he has stepped into our brokenness so that we might be restored back into relationship. What do you think we should do? Well, let's go find out. And it says they went with haste, they sprinted. Imagine these shepherds throwing their staff aside and they're running, they're sprinting, they're jumping fence, they're coming into Bethlehem and they're getting as quickly as they can beside the manger. You know what this is? I believe this is a faith response to the gospel. It's one thing to hear good news of great joy. It's another thing to make haste to run and receive it. Now imagine if the story went like this. The angels show up and they bring great news, a good news of great joy, that a savior has been born. That they don't have to live in their brokenness. They don't live in their mess. Imagine if the story went on and we would, in our Bibles, we would read it like this. And the shepherds, when the angel went away, they looked at each other and were like, man, that was awesome. Did you hear that? Good news, great joy. It's incredible. He came to us. I know it, I heard. What do you think we should do? Man, we we got dinner waiting for us. Let's go check it out later. Imagine if they were like, man, I I know we should go, but man, you know what happens when we go into town. People reject us. People don't wanna be around us. I just don't wanna put myself out there like that. No one's gonna believe us anyway. And we're shepherds. I just don't know that I wanna face rejection, so I'm, I'm just gonna stay put. Hey, you think we should go? Man, I would, but I'm just really busy right now. I just don't think I have the time. Or, man, that's an awesome story. I just don't think that I need it. Now, that would be crazy. Well, think about this story you read like that. You're like, are you kidding me? God sent a messenger to proclaim good news of great joy, that a savior has come in the midst of your brokenness. It'd be crazy for them to respond like that. The truth is, that's how many of you in this room have responded time and time again. The angel of the Lord declares to you, Front unto you was born this day in the city of David, the Savior who is Christ the Lord. Man, pastor's preaching a little long today. I think we'll, I'll check that out later. I'll pray through it. Man, I don't know that I wanna come, up, come forward because they always do this thing where you come forward and I, I just don't want people to, to think I'm weird by getting up and giving my life to Jesus. I know I need it, but man, I just got so much in my life right now. I'll, I'll figure another time out to get that part of me settled. Some of you, is like, yeah, I know I need it, but I think I'm good for now. That's been the response of so many of you in the room week in and week out. You need to receive it. In fact, I wanna do this right now. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads, if you would, in the room. There are some of you, you need to respond to the gospel today. I want you just to settle in just for a moment. If you know today, you're hearing this message like, man, that's what I need. I don't know that I have a relationship with God. Or some of you may may know you don't. Been trusting in other things. I wanna encourage you right now, if you would, just make haste. to receive Jesus, to respond by faith. And here's what I want you to do. If you are in that place, I want you just to simply pray from your heart, God, I am a sinner and I need a savior. And I want Jesus's death and resurrection to be my hope. God, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to make me new. In Jesus' name, with no one looking around, if you're a person that just prayed that prayer just with me a moment ago, or you want to, Scripture says that the angels, or the shepherds rather, made haste. and They went, and they weren't ashamed, and they shared with everybody who had listened what the Lord had done in their life. So it's gonna take courage to do what I'm gonna call you to do. But I'm gonna challenge you to be obedient. If you pray to receive Christ or you want to pray to receive Christ, and I wanna encourage you with no one looking around, if you would just stand up from your seat and slip out, there are people in the the sections in front of you who wanna pray with you and encourage you today. So right now, Just just make that stand and, and slip out. And I'm not trying to make this difficult for you. I just, I wanna give you a place where you can be encouraged and prayed for. And the reality is, as Pastor George said last week, if we can't confess Jesus in a room with believers, it's gonna be really hard to confess him outside this room. So if that's you, I'm gonna get you to stand right now and just move out of your seat to one of these volunteers, staff members that are here. Give you a couple of moments. Jesus for life change. Is there anybody else? everybody look up here? There were those who stepped out in faith and we praise Jesus for that. But from the testimony of everyone who's sitting here, I'm gonna make an assumption about you. It doesn't mean it's true. I'm gonna make an assumption that you know Jesus. So what's the second response? We share it. Shepherds went and they they proclaimed, they shared what had happened to them. And it says that they left praising God and glorifying him. You know what I love about this? The shepherds, nothing changed for them. But at the same time, everything changed for them. Nothing changed for them socially. Nothing changed for them geographically. Nothing changed for them politically. They were who they were, but they were never the same again. And they couldn't contain it. My challenge for you is on your way in, you received this resource. This is an evangelism guide that we've put together during the holidays. You're gonna have opportunity to speak with friends and loved ones whose lives need Jesus, they're broken. And this is a little resource here. It's three circles of evangelism that's put in a Christmas format. Be a great time for you um, to talk to your friends and relatives over a cup of coffee, over a meal about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's even um, ways that you can identify opportunity. So I'm gonna encourage you to take this and share Jesus with somebody around you. See, this ever-restoring message is not something we can tell you. The next couple weeks, we're gonna talk about the call that we have to go and tell the world about what he's done. And this resource is one of the ways that um, you can take advantage of that. I'm gonna pray for us, and then Miss Stephanie's come and make a few announcements and dismiss us. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would have your way in our lives, in this room. God, we thank you, Lord, for Christmas and the message. Lord, thank you for those who responded today to the gospel. And God, we pray as we go, we would be people who share this good news, this message with the world around us. God, we love you, and we thank you that you sent Jesus. And it's his name we pray.